We're going to go through the Christmas story. I don't know how far we're going to get. We're going to just start in Luke chapter 1 and um, do the second half tonight. Um, so we'll just see how far we, we can get in the Christmas story. Now, one of the things that, that um, it's a message, entire message that I preached a couple Christmases ago. And so I won't preach the message again. But I just wanted to remind you that there, there was so much drama surrounding the circumstances of Jesus' birth. Now, you would think the God of heaven, you know, Jesus died on a hill that he created. And, and so Jesus and God, right, and, and, and God is, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if he wanted all the pomp and circumstance and palaces and mansions and flying carpets and everything to announce the, son, the birth of his son very easily, but God chose a very lowly and humble beginning. We talked about last week, I shared this, but it's super powerful, that in, in, in God's narrative, that God has to choose who's going to take care of his son, the baby, the baby Jesus. You know, and again, and how hard is that as parents? How many of you guys have filled out a living trust? And when you fill out a living trust, you have to name um, somebody that's going to take your kids in case something happens to you. And I remember Lydia and I, you know, painstakingly trying to decide who would be best, who would, who would raise our kids in the Lord, who would, you know, who would take care of them, who could provide for them. And, you know, as, as all of us feel the same way, nobody's going to do as good a job as we're going to do ourselves. And, and so trying to pick somebody, and God is in heaven, and, and he's trying to pick somebody to give birth to God. <laughs> to give birth to Jesus, the Messiah, and take care of him. And, and God's favor um, finds Mary, and he chooses Mary. And again, Mary is, is poor, and Joseph is poor. When they came to, to bring an offering, the Lord said, if you're poor, you bring a lamb or, or, or different offerings. But if you're poor, you could bring turtle doves. And they brought turtle doves, and so they didn't have anything. Now, the wise men came. And the wise men, by the way, the wise men didn't come at the, um, at the birth of Jesus in the manger. So if you have the wise men in your nativity set, Take your wise men and put them on the other side of the living room because they didn't come for another two years. But they brought, um, some say enough gold. One of the gifts they gave Jesus was gold for him to live. And so they, um, and even when he started his ministry, that he would have had enough to provide for his disciples and those things. But um, God chose Mary, a humble gal, virgin who was poor. And, um, and then even with Mary, the entire thing was just full of drama. You would think that God would just so bless Mary that he would spare her all those things and put her in a palace and, and none of those things. Mary gets pregnant when she's engaged. She, she goes away to her cousin Elizabeth's house. She spends six months there. She comes back to her own village unmarried and is pregnant. How do you think that went for Mary? Oh, did you see Mary? She was gone for six months and she came home pregnant and it wasn't Joseph. He was here, and on and on and on, and they're not married yet. And if it was Joseph, you know, and, and all that that Mary would have had to go through, and so much drama, the whole thing with Zechariah and all the way through. My pastor says in this story, and I, I'm not brave enough to say this, but he says, God loves drama. <laughs> I don't know about that, but it seems that way that um, there, there, because, again, if there was one event in human history that God would have just orchestrated perfectly, you think it would be the birth of his son, and yet it doesn't go down that way at all. It's very messy, and that should encourage you and me. Why? Because <laughs> life is messy. Life can be messy, and it, it, it doesn't mean God's favor is not on your life. It doesn't mean God's blessing is not on your life. It, it just means life can be messy, and, and, and whether life is messy or clean, the message from God is still the same, and the examples in Mary and Zechariah is still the same. God says, trust me. I got you. I got this. 
We went to uh, Lydia's, Lydia's um, work conferences in Vegas every year around the WAC conference for the uh, GCU basketball team. And so we were in Vegas last year at the, and we went out, the boys all went, and we go to the basketball tournament. So um, they bring the staff down, and then, um, then we all get to go to the tournament, and, and GCU won the WAC conference, big game, it was a lot of fun. And we went out to eat afterwards, and we had this waitress, and, and she said everything, hey, can I have a glass of water? And she said, oh, I got you. I got you. Uh, can, can I get some napkins? I got you. I got you. God's got you, all right? And if you need napkins, she's got you. All right, so let's, let's begin in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse number 5. The first four verses are an introduction to the gospel of Luke. And it says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah, his wife, was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So if, if his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, what tribe are they from? And he's a priest. They're from the Levitical tribe, the priestly tribe. God chose this one tribe, set this one tribe out of the twelve apart to handle the duties of the priesthood. They didn't get an inheritance when, when Moses was, was distributing the inheritance to the twelve tribes. And their inheritance was the Lord, and they were, they were taken care of by the offerings and the tithes, and they took care of the temple and the needs of the temple and the ministry deeds and the spiritual needs, and a lot of physical um, sacrifice of the lamb was, was a lot of work, and so they took care of everything that had to do with temple ordinances and work and sacrifices and offerings. And so they, um, Zacharias was of the tribe of Levi, be about 20,000 um, priests in Israel at the time of Jesus. And they worked according to a rotating basis, and then different duties came by lot. And so a lot would be um, casting lots, whether how they cast lots, whether they did shortest straw, rolled dice, they had a way to discern, and they would cast a lot to decide how, who would be up to do certain duties. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no children. Now, God's testimony of Elizabeth and Zacharias is that they were, um, they were blameless. Now, it doesn't mean they were perfect. The word blameless just means that no, nothing could stick to them. They were above reproach. No accusations would stick. They were, they were generally good people. And, and so God chose them and says they were blameless. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. It's funny in the, in the Greek that, that well advanced means bent over. They, they were bent over. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, again, so according to this, this kind of system that the Levitical priest would go through, and it was his turn to serve in the temple, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. You know, um, this is something that I constantly am reminding our church of. And it says here that the, the whole multitude was praying. Do you remember Jesus when he went into the temple? And one of the things that um, the Levitical tribe did and the, the high priests and these, they, they, they merchandised the temple. And you had to bring an offering of a lamb. And people would travel from all over the world because every Jew, observant Jew, would have to travel once a year to Jerusalem for Passover. And so Jerusalem would swell by, by a million people and 200,000 lambs would be sacrificed, quarter of a million lambs sacrificed every year at Passover. 
And so sometimes people would travel and they would bring a lamb and they would offer it to the priest for their family, for their, um, for their sins to be sacrificed. And they would examine the, the, the lamb because if it had spot or blemish, it wouldn't be accepted. And so the priest would take the lamb and they would say, oh, no, I'm sorry, this one has a, a blemish on it and it, can't, it doesn't count. And so, but we have these pre-approved lambs over here and, and they were ten times the price of what a lamb would cost. And they would take the lamb that they said was blemished and when the people left, they would rotate it back in and sell it to somebody else um, as an unblemished lamb. And when Jesus went into the temple, he was against this practice because um, there's, there's two times where you see Jesus angry. And the only time you see Jesus angry, it's for the same reason. When somebody is stopping somebody else from coming to God. When somebody is preventing somebody else from coming to the Lord, that made Jesus angry. And people were becoming bitter, and then their worship experience was, was not good. And um, so Jesus goes, and he, he overturns the money tables, and he whips them. And then what does Jesus say? He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And you've made it a den of thieves. And so here we see the house of God and the people are, are, are praying. And that was God's intention. And listen, for our house and for us as Christian people, we need to be a people who pray. And I, and I just encourage you as a Christ follower, it has to be a discipline of your life to grow in the Lord, to, to find joy, to have relationship with Jesus. Now, you know, I, I, and again, I, I encourage you to be intentional in your discipline of prayer. Where, where, you know, you don't just get in bed at night and as you put your head on the pillow, you say, you know, you start talking and then you wake up in the morning somewhere about 10, 12 words in, you fall asleep. And, and it's okay to do that. Good to help yourself fall asleep that way. But being intentional about, you know, Jesus said, and, and Jesus didn't say if, but in the areas of fasting and praying, he, he assumed that as Christ followers, these are disciplines that we would have. And he said, when you pray, go into your room, lock the door, and, and, and what you do in secret, your father sees openly, and he'll reward you. And so, do, do anybody watch the movie The War Room? Such, such, a, such an inspiring movie for personal prayer. And there's this woman, and she's just, and it's, she's just a prayer warrior. And she's just the sweetest. She's a grandma, and she just intercedes, and she has a ministry and a gift of prayer. And she built a house. She took one of the rooms in her house, and she turned it into what she called the War Room. And that's where she would go in and pray. When, you know, I was so inspired by the movie. We have this room un, uh, under the um, under the stairways, da- under the stairwell downstairs, and so it's it's not very big, but you can't walk. I guess you could walk into it, and then the stairway starts to go down, you know, right away. And so I cleaned it out, and I hung some some Christian some literature in there, some scriptures, and a little cross, and and I said, "This is going to be my prayer room." I don't think I ever went in it. And well, the idea was good. I was really inspired, but I had to go downstairs and into the prayer room. But the idea is good, you know. And so um, be intentional about prayer. And, again, I want to encourage us. And, and, and we, Wednesday night um, in our study, we talked about fasting, too, and encouraging us as Christ followers to be people who fast. But I want us to be people who pray. So when you say to somebody, I'll pray for you, don't just send them praying hands. Don't text them praying hands. That don't count. You can text them praying hands. But to actually get away, get alone, um, we encourage couples to pray together. Pray together at night. It's a good place while you're in bed laying together before you. But also it has to be an individual discipline. It has to be a personal discipline where, where we're also spending time um, sitting alone with the Lord, word open, worship music on. And then it says in verse 11, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him 
standing on the right. I don't know why God wanted to tell us he was on the right side of the altar of incense, but he did. He's on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Every time you see a human encounter an angel, there's a, there's a response, usually of fear, of awe. There's only one time in all recorded history where a human encounters an angel and doesn't have any kind of fear or any reaction at all. We've taught it. We've been going through it um, when we went through John's gospel. That's Mary. When Mary came to the tomb and she saw the empty tomb, there was two angels in there. And, and, and she had no fear, no awe because she wanted to see Jesus. And the only time recorded. And the angel said to her, and, and she says, where's Jesus? She just... Nothing. But every time, even Mary, when the angel comes in a minute, we're going to see Mary, um, and she's going to have the same reaction. So obviously, seeing an angel, Zacharias has this, this reaction of fear. Um, and the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Now, this is um, pretty epic right here in verse 13. Um, do me a favor. Find Matthew chapter 1. And then turn back to the left a page. It should look like this. You guys got that page in your Bible? I think there's even one more to boot. Nope, that's it. So this is the, the, the page between the Old and the New Testament. And now turn back one more page to the last verse in Malachi. Somebody tell me what the last word of the New Testament is. Or the Old Testament, I'm sorry. Okay, the word is curse. The last word of the Old Testament. And then in Israel's history, in that next page, as you go back to the right now, 400 years of silence. God didn't speak to Israel for 400 years. Not through a prophet, not through a word, nothing. Just 400 years of silence. And now the silence is broken. And it's broken by the Lord speaking through the angel and speaking to Zechariah and telling Zechariah that he was going to have a son. And Zacharias, your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. John is, um, the word John means God is gracious, or God is giving. And in verse 14 it says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, in this point in the Bible narrative, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. It wasn't until after Jesus dies on a cross and raises again the third day. And then just for um, narrative's sake, John, who we read about in our, in our New Testament, he's, he's classified as the last of the Old Testament saints. So John is an Old Testament saint. He wouldn't have been filled with the Holy Spirit as you and I were. One of the fascinating things about John, the, John the Baptist, who's being announced here, is Jesus said that of all the prophets, John the Baptist was the greatest. And one of the reasons why John the Baptist, Jesus singled out as being the greatest, is because John was the first Old Testament prophet who got to see the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah. Every Old Testament prophet, every Old Testament character pointed forward to Jesus, the Lamb of God that is coming, that is coming. And, and John was the first one who could literally look Jesus in the wide of his eyes and he pointed at him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John was great. 
God said that he was going to come in, in Malachi, in that verse, that the last word is curse. If you read back in that verse, it says that when John comes, he's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And, and some said, you know, they, some, Jesus said he is Elijah if you, can, if you can bear it, if you can handle it. Now, he wasn't technically Elijah himself, but he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And he had a ministry of preparing the way um, for the Lord. And he was going to be great. And then in verse 16, it says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. How would you like that to be your ministry? Right? That's all of our ministries, actually. To turn many of our children to the hearts of the Lord and many people. And then it goes on, not only the children, but he says, um, And he will, go, he will also go before him in the spirit of power, in the spirit and the power of Elijah, to turn hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so John's ministry was to prepare the way of the Lord in his first coming. Your, your ministry and my ministry is to prepare the way of the Lord in his second coming and to tell the world, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is fulfilled. We see here where this promise, 4,000 years from Genesis chapter 3, the proto 